Take your Bibles, please, and go to Matthew 13. A wiggle worm in our church is three years and four years old, and so that doesn't include your teenager who's a wiggle worm. He's not allowed or she's not allowed to go to that class, all right? Or maybe your husband, all right? So they need to stay here. And I'm just kidding, teenagers. You guys are great. We have some great teenagers in our church. Uh, uh, I think about you guys and, and your love for the Lord and and uh, we have great teenagers, and you say, they're, they're, uh, they're getting older. Yeah, they're getting older, and, and I love it. I love watching them grow up. And I was thinking about Ben. I was thinking about you and Diana today, and, and uh, we were talking about you in the deacons meeting and just how watching you grow up, now you're going to be getting married, and just watching young people grow up in our church. It's a blessing. A, generation, a generational church is a blessing of the Lord. Grandparents, great-grandparents, parents, kids, it's a blessing to see that. And you get to see that when you stay somewhere long enough. Matthew chapter number 13, we're going we're gonna to wrap up our parable of the tares, part number two. And uh, just uh, this study has been so uh, wonderful, such an incredible study. I want to thank my dad publicly. Uh, he, he has done many, many studies on the parables, and I reference a lot of his material uh, that, he's, uh, that he's studied out. So I use his materials almost like a study guide, and it helps me also in, in my study. Sometimes we disagree, but uh, he can't say anything about it because he's in the pew, amen? So no, I'm just kidding. We don't, we don't disagree. We actually come to agreement on everything, but I appreciate all the work that he's done. By the way, I just want to say, I know I said it this morning, but Patrick and Raina, congratulations. And uh, they're engaged. So let's give them a hand. We're excited for them. And she can't clap. She can't clap. She can't lift her hand up to clap. It's like the, the ring is so big. So, but congratulations to you two. Excited for your future. Matthew 23, look at verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, Jesus, of course, talking to his disciples, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. We're in Matthew chapter 13, verse 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? Where do the tares come from? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the what? Until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the who? Reapers, gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them and gather the wheat into my barn. A few weeks ago, we started this message, and we talked about the sowers first. Who were these sowers? The Bible says the kingdom of heaven was likened unto a man that sowed good seed in his field. We know that the first sower was the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to his people, Israel. He came to his people, the Jews, and they rejected him. And so we understand uh, uh, that Christ came and he started the church. And we, we are a part of the church that Christ started. Christ, the Son of Man, is the sower. We see this in verse 37 of Matthew 13. It says, He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the who? The Son of Man. The second sower, the enemy that comes in, we know, is Satan. 
Satan is the enemy of Christ. Verse 25, but while men slept, his enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. We know because of verse 39 that the enemy, the sower, the enemy was the devil. The Bible says in verse 39, the enemy that sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the what? It's the end of the world. By the way, the world is going to end. Amen. It's going to end. And how many believe, I believe that it's sooner than later. I really believe that, but uh, we see here that the enemy is Satan. He is sowing. He is working against God's plan. (laughs) In Scripture, we also talked about the seed. The seed. There are only two types of seed here. We see the tare and the wheat. The tare and the wheat are very similar. They look very similar, but they are not the same. They grow together, but they are completely different than each other. We understand that the wheat is the children of the kingdom, true believers of Christ in the gospel, and the tares are the children of the wicked one, those who may have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They seem to look good on the outside, but they're not truly saved. Uh, we know that there's a thing called the darnel that in that particular time uh, they would sow in an enemy's field to grow up these tares. Jesus warned us of these people in Matthew chapter 7, verse uh, 15 through 23, where Christ says uh, that even if they say, Lord, Lord, why have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have done uh, cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So we have seen the sowers. We've seen the seeds. So tonight we're going to go a little bit further into this parable, and we're going to talk about two more things. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that you bless the message tonight. Help us, first of all, to learn from your word, to learn what this parable is talking about. Help us, God, also to walk circumspectly and look at our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'd convict us and help us as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you be seated there, I hope you have an outline. If you don't have an outline, does anybody need one tonight? Slip up your hand. Does anybody need an outline? And uh, Brother, Brother Linder has a few extras there, and we'll make sure you have one there. So the next uh, part of this parable that we're going to talk about is number one in your notes. We're going to talk about a series of questions. So the next thing that we see, and my, my iPad just, just thought I said, hey, Siri. That's not what I said. Uh, uh, a series of questions. And there it goes again. All right. So letter A here is we see a a question of sovereignty, a question of sovereignty. Look at verse 27. In this parable here, we see that these questions are proposed to the good man, the man who sows the good seed, who would be who in this parable? The who? The son of man or Jesus Christ. So these questions are put towards the good man here. So the series of questions we see, verse 27, it says, Sir, Didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? That's question number one. Didn't you sow the good seed in your field? We see this, this is a question of sovereignty. Does the good man, the, 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 the keeper of the field, know how to sow good seed into his field? Does, the, does Jesus Christ, does God know what he's doing? Is he sovereign? Verse 27, and then the second part of the question is, from whence hath it tares? Where did the tares come from? The first part here is an acknowledgement that the field, first of all, belongs to the householder. In this world that we live in, everything that you see, every person belongs to God. This is his domain. God is sovereign over all. And so this is a question of his sovereignty, but the question in itself shows that he is the householder. He is sovereign. He is responsible for the seed that is sown. Psalms 24, 1 through 2 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, 
the world and they that dwell therein. There is no question that everything that we see belongs to God. For he, is, for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. As difficult as it, it is for our minds to comprehend, Christ, we believe, is the originator of all creation, including mankind, including angelic beings, and including Satan himself, who was an angelic being who fell. But Christ is the originator, the first fruits of all creation. God created the heavens and the earth and everything therein. And may I just pause here for a moment to just reiterate that evolution did nothing. God didn't create it halfway and, 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 and employ evolution to do the rest. That's hogwash. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We believe in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and he spoke upon the earth, upon the face, and God created seven literal days. God created the heavens and the earth. He's powerful enough to do that. He is sovereign then over all. It's hard for us to comprehend that. Sometimes people ask, how could God create sin? How could God create something sinful? Now, that's a question I, I answer a lot, young people especially, as they start to reason and think about things in their minds. How did, how did this happen? The answer is both complex but also very simple. The creation that God introduced, the simple answer is, the creation that God introduced or created was pure. There was no sin. God created a perfect environment. He created Eden. He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There was no sin. There was no, uh, there was no curse at that time. What God did, though, was he created mankind with a will, a free will to choose whether he would accept or reject God's commandments. God did not create sin. He created man with a free will. And before we get too upset about that, let's think about this. Aren't you glad you have free will? Yeah. Amen. I'm glad that I have free will, and God created me with that free will. God did not create sin. He did not create a sin. He created a perfect environment. He created an environment that he put mankind in. He was sovereign over that, a perfect world. The creation that uh, he introduced into this world was the pure seed, if you will. It was the seed that he created. The Garden of Eden, there was no sin. There was no evil. There was no curse. Only man, the animals, the earth, the free will. But there's something happened. The enemy happened. The very simple action of eating the fruit in the Garden of Eden was not a sin. Think about this for a moment. They ate fruit all the time. The action of taking a piece of fruit and biting into it wasn't a sinful action. The action of biting the fruit that God told them not to bite was the sinful action, the sin of disobedience. So in, in effect, man created sin. When he chose to disobey the only thing that God told him not to do, and before we get too upset at Adam and Eve, how many of you are like me? I'm a sinner. And I'm like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. The thing that I know that I shouldn't do, that's the thing that I do. And the thing that I know that I'm not supposed to do, and the thing that I know that I'm supposed to do, I don't do it. Oh, wretched man that I am. And so we see that God did not create sin. He created man with the free will. The first part of this question was, was uh, where, where, did the, where did the tares come from? It was a question of sovereignty. God did not create sin. He created us with a free will. But we see the second part of this question, verse 27. From whence then 
hath it tares? Where did these tares come from? Uh, how did this happen? And it's an age-old question. If how, what, Where did sin come from if God didn't create sin? What is the original sin? What is the original evil? Well, God created Satan. He was a perfect uh, being. He was a, a being that God created to do a job in heaven. But Satan looked at Jesus Christ, uh, looked at God, excuse me, on his throne, looked God in the face and said, I want to be better than you. And he lifted himself up in pride and Satan fell, the Bible says. And at that moment in history, whenever that was, Satan became the enemy of God. And that's why we see in verse 28, look at verse 28 with me. The age-old question is answered in this verse. And he hath said unto them, an enemy hath done this. Satan, has, Satan in the Garden of Eden, what did he do? He convinced Eve that it was okay to eat that fruit. And by the way, Satan's been doing that for millennia. He's been convincing us and supplanting and causing us to uh, uh, working against God's will and working against what God wants his initial response to God in pride opened the gateway for man to exercise his free will against God. Satan, the ultimate enemy of God, has had influence on mankind to also lift themselves up against God. Why is he still active? Why does God continue to tolerate his actions? Why is God allowing him to sow these tares? Because it's part of his plan and purpose. And all God's people said, you try to figure God out. It's part of his plan and purpose. God has a plan throughout the millennia. I believe uh, uh, that God is trying to show man that in every state that man exists in, he will rebel against God. In the garden, it was a perfect environment. Man was innocent, but man chose to rebel against God. After that, uh, man was ruled by his own conscience. He, every man did that was right in his own eyes, and man rebelled against God, result, God, resulting in the flood. And we know that God sent the flood on the earth and saved Noah and his family. But we understand that, that man rebelled against God, uh, even when he de dealt with the nation of Israel directly as a, as a theocratic society where God dealt with them directly. Israel rebelled against God and wanted their own king. And then when God gave them a king, King Saul, they again rebelled against God. And then when the law was there, when they had the law, when they had the government, uh, 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 God, they, re they rebelled against God. And even now under grace, we rebel against God. In every instance, God is showing us that man will choose to rebel against God. Even in the millennial kingdom, when Jesus Christ himself is going to rule the earth, there's going to be an uprising and men are going to rebel against God. And maybe God is trying to show us as mankind when we have a free will, when it exists, we choose to rebel. You say, well, what's the solution to that? It's right behind me. It's right there. That's the solution. And all God's people said, amen, amen. it's the cross. You see, God knew that we were going to rebel. God knows that if, if man has a free will, he's going to rebel. But the plan from the beginning was the cross. God was going to redeem mankind. And aren't you thankful that we're redeemed? That even though we're sinners, he sent his only begotten son. Christ, God sent Christ as a sacrifice, as a propitiation for that sin that he knew that I was going to do. And he sent his son to die on the cross to reconcile me with God. His plan all along was Christ. So we know that God is sovereign. He is sovereign. We see a question of sovereignty, letter B. We see a, qu a question of strategy. Look at verse 28. Will thou then that we go and gather them up? The servant said, should we go out there and start pulling them up? And the servants, they were aware of the tares and they wanted to be, them to be gone before they go to seed. 
Uh, and so they knew that that was a strategy that maybe the householder wanted to do. But the householder replies in two parts. Look at verse 29. Nay, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up the what? The wheat with them. Now we talked about last week that the tares are the children of the wicked one, the, the, the children of the devil, those who don't accept Christ. And then we know that the, that the wheat is the, ch- the children of God. And so uh, the, he says, don't do that. Otherwise, you're going to pull them up together. The problem of the wheat and the tares was far beyond the servants to remedy. And here we are today, and the problem with the wheat and the tares is far beyond our, our capacity to remedy. And so we understand that if they were to pluck up the tares, the damage of the wheat would be, the damage would be done in removing the wheat as well. And so we see here that it's God's sole right of how to deal with the tares. God, it's his right. It's not, uh, we see in religions today, you know of religions today, where if they don't follow that particular religion, they'll cut off their head. Uh, we, we know that the, the Spanish Inquisition and things of that nature where it was repent or die, or it was recant or die, or it was convert or die. That's the kind of behavior that happens when we're the servants going out and saying, we need to pluck out the tares. It's not our responsibility to go to someone's door and say, uh, ask Jesus to save you or die. It's their choice. All God's people said, Amen. It's not our choice to force someone to choose Christ. It's not the servant's choice to pluck them up. It's God's choice. It's his sole right of how he deals with mankind. May we not forget that in God's economy, a tear, because we're in the age of grace, a tear can become a wheat at any time. Amen. And so somebody who's a tear today might be a wheat tomorrow. Amen. That neighbor, you think, man, that guy, I don't know what's wrong with him. He might get saved. And so it's not, it's not within our capacity to know the fate of somebody. Somebody could literally get saved right on their deathbed. And so it's only God who can have the right to win the tares and the harvest takes place. And so the parable of the wheat and tares, we see, we've looked at the sowers. We've looked at the seed. We looked at the series of questions. And then secondly tonight, and lastly tonight, let's look at the solution of harvest. The solution of harvest. What is the solution of the wheat and tares? What what did Jesus say in his parable is the solution to this problem? Look at verse 28 with me. And he saith unto them, the enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, "Uh, wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? And he said, nay, lest we gather up the tares and ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both, what, grow together into the what? Until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather together first the tares, bind them in bundles and burn them and gather the wheat into my barn. In these questions asked in this parable, the servants ask if they should root out the tares. And God says, no, he is sovereign. He has a plan with this harvest. The solution to the wheat and the tares is the harvest. God is going to harvest. There is going to be a harvest time. We find in this passage there are two parts to the harvest. First letter A, we see the tares are harvested. Look at verse 30. Let them both both grow together until the harvest. The harvest is identified in verse 39 as the end of the world. 
That word world there means a time period, the end of this, this time period. We need to keep in mind that the Lord is using these parables to speak to a specific group of people, the elect or the Jew. The Jew is the most, uh, he's the most concerned when he's speaking this particular parable unto them. He's letting them know that at the end of the tribulation time period, that the Jew, the, the Jew there, his elect, they're going to be harvested. And so, but we see that the tares are going to be harvested first. He said, let them both grow together. Verse 39 says this, the enemy that sowed them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the, who? The angels. Verse 13, 36, and Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came in unto him saying, declare unto us this parable, uh, this parable here of the tares of the field. We believe this is the end of the tribulation age the end of this dispensation, if you will, this can be understood as in greater depth when you understand Matthew chapter number 24. Now, we just went through a long series of, of what is to come. How remember that series? We talked about end times. We talked a lot about Matthew chapter number 24. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking about the Jews. Matthew chapter 13 here, Matthew chapter 24, and Revelation. Isn't it amazing how the scriptures come together? Scripture should always bear witness with Scripture, and it should always come together. And so we understand here that the field is the, the, the world, and the, the end of the age is the end of the world here, and the reapers are the angels. They're going to, the angels are given a special wisdom of God to go in and find those who've never accepted Christ, truly. Look at verse 39, the enemy hath sowed them is the devil. These are the devil's people that are going to be harvested first, and they're gathered According to uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, they both grow together and they're bundled together for a future judgment. We understand that at the, at the, end, of the, the end of time there, we have the great white throne judgment. I don't like thinking about it, but it's there. The Bible says that everyone's going to stand before God, small and great. And the Bible says that whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was what? cast into the lake of fire. So this harvest here, these bundles that are gathered together, they're being gathered together for that judgment, a future judgment. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1, verse 7. How many say, Pastor, that's a sobering thought. It is for me. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1 says here in verse 7, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that what? Know not God, and that obeyed not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. This is truly a saddening thought to think about the billions and billions of people who have rejected their creator, who have rejected the gift of salvation, I'm talking about billions and billions of people. It's a saddening thought. But listen, this, tonight, sometimes we look at the world around us and we think, why does God allow things to happen? Why does he not take care of business? God is not slack concerning his promise. And, and, and listen, we, our prayer ought to be, Lord, please say, help me to witness to people. Help, help us to see as many people saved as we can. Because there is going to come a day where Christ is going to return. Matthew chapter number 13, verse 40. Let's go back there. 
As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all uh, things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them in a furnace of fire and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is the future judgment of the bundled tares. So we see that the tares are going to be harvested. The angels are going to harvest them for the Lord, for God, and they're going to be put in, uh, bundled up for that future judgment. Then we see letter B, we see the wheat is then harvested. Look at verse 30. And then gather wheat into what? My barn, man, I can't wait to live in his barn, amen? Can't wait to be in that barn. That's going to be a great barn up there. And so he says, gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, and then shall appear. uh, Go ahead and go there. I'll let you go there. Matthew 24 and verse 30. I don't want to rush through this, and you can look at the scriptures with me. Matthew 24 and verse 30. He's going to gather the wheat into his barn. Of course, we're talking about now the end of the millennial kingdom. We're talking about the end of the world here. We're talking about this is it. This is all. This is everything. Matthew 24, verse 30. Look at what it says. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and shall all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and shall send his angels with great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to another. Talking about the nation of Israel here, his elect. We see verse 43. And of course, believing those believers uh, that believe in Christ as well. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. This is going to be a wonderful time. Uh, And we know this is not talking about the rapture of the church. This is talking about those at the end of the millennial kingdom here, those that belong to the Lord. And so we see the rapture of the church. We could talk about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 through 17. So let's go there real quick. Let's look at the difference between this. While you're turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let me read you again, Matthew 24, 30. Then shall appear the sign of son of man in heaven, Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and they shall send his angels with the sound of a trumpet, and they shall shall gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. I wish I had a lot of time, uh, and we maybe will do it soon, is getting into the differences between these verses and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the rapture and the end of the world are a little bit, they're different events, and they, 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 you can tell the differences in the verses. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many believe that? Amen. Amen. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For we shall say unto you in the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, We believe this is talking about the rapture versus is Matthew chapter 24 talking about the end of the, uh, the millennial kingdom there, the, the end of the world. And so that's why you, ha- you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. You have, you have Revelation, you have Matthew 24, Matthew 13. They all go together seamlessly. We've talked a lot about that over the last several months, so I'm not going to belabor that. But the wheat represented in this parable in Matthew 13 is the nation of Israel, the elect. We're going to talk, I believe, next Sunday night, Lord willing, we're going to talk about the parable of the mustard seed. Have you ever heard of that? Boy, you talk about, I was surprised as I've been studying that. I even talked to my dad about that. I said, are you sure? And so we've been talking about it. And it'll be a surprise because as you read Matthew chapter 13, if you read it in context, 
Jesus Christ is talking about his elect, the Jew, all through the, every parable that he talks about. So we're going to talk about that next week. But we see here that he's mentioning his elect, the whole program of the Great Tribulation. We've talked about this many times. The whole program was designed for the nation of Israel. That is the wheat. And of course, we know that in, the, in that time period, there'll be others that aren't Jews that come to Christ, but the majority will be God's chosen people, Israel. So in this parable, we see these two groups. They will not meet the same fate. The solution of the harvest is that they will be harvested at the end of time. There will be a harvest. I believe that the church, those of us that are saved, I believe we won't be there at that harvest. We'll already be in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. amen. But there will be a time where we all come together there, but there will not be the same fate. First Peter chapter number 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthen, and settle you. This is an application we could use here. This is the age of grace that we live in. And it's the age of grace for good reason. Because right now, a tear, a tear can become wheat. The Bible says that when the church is raptured, my dad and I have talked about this at length, and I know uh, other, other preachers will talk about this, but after the rapture, how many people are going to get saved after the rapture? The Bible says there's going to be a strong delusion sent, a very strong delusion. And in other words, what I'm saying is you might be sitting here thinking to yourself, well, I'll just wait and see if the rapture happens, then I'll get saved. That's a poor strategy. That's a poor strategy. There's going to be a strong delusion sent. But right now, in the age of grace that we live in, a tear can become a wheat. That's why we ought to be taking the, the seed of the gospel as Christ has commanded us and sow that seed as much as we can. The end isn't yet. Heaven isn't here. And I understand how many say heaven looks sweeter, sweeter today than it ever has. But God's not done with you yet. And all God's people said... Hey, listen, there's a lot left here to do. There's a lot of tares that can become wheat if we would simply tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have I ever told you that I love to fish? I'll end with this illustration. I love to fish. I'm learning a lot about fishing. And uh, how many of you have ever fished on the Delta? Ever fished on the Delta? Quite a few of you. And the Delta is a, a very vast water system here, basically just uh, west of us and uh, from Antioch, Pittsburgh, and, and there's thousands and thousands of miles of water that you can fish. And one of the things I'm learning about is tides. You have, to, you have to learn what's going on with the tides if you want to catch fish. My wife and I went out, this was probably a month or two ago, and we went out to this one spot, and she always catches more fish than me anyway, but uh, we're sitting there in there, and we caught probably 11 fish between us. We just kept catching them over and over. We had a great day fishing. And then we went out, and it was my birthday. She, my wife said, what do you want to do on your birthday? I said, I want to fish for my birthday. So we went out to that same exact spot. We used the same exact bait. Didn't catch one fish. We didn't understand the tides. And may I say that if you want to catch fish, just so you know, the best time is an hour before slack tide, during the slack, or an hour after. And a lot of times, it depends on where you're at, but a lot of times it's the outgoing or incoming tide you want to fish. The, tide is, the, the better the tide, the better the fishing. And I, used, I said all that to say this, the tide to soul win is right now. This is the tide. Right now is the best time. 
There is never, come on, somebody say amen. There has never been a better time to tell someone else about Christ than right now, than right now. Listen, I'm telling you, people are open to the gospel. They're looking for the truth. They're tired of being lied to. We have the Bible, the perfect preserved word of God. We have the truth in our hands. We can tell them about Christ unashamedly. We don't have to worry about whether we have the truth in our hands. Now it has never been a better tide than right now. We just got to get out in the boat. Amen. We just got to get our hooks in the water. One thing I've learned about fishing, Brother Renison, if, if you're constantly snagged, if you're constantly messing around with your bait, if, you're pull, if you don't have bait in the water, you're not going to catch anything. We need to get our bait in the water. Forgive me for the fishing puns. Amen. The tide is perfect. The harvest is coming. No doubt. But the tide is in. The tide is now. It's right now. It's time to be a fisher of men. It's time to get our nets in the water, our hooks in the water. I'm very excited about 2021. I'm looking forward to uh, being a church that goes after souls like it's never gone. But what about you personally? Tonight, I want you to consider this harvest, the wheat and the tares. And I want you to consider trying to convert some people, trying to help people find Christ and changing them from that tear to that wheat. Let's pray together tonight.